0: I don't know uh, what kind of week everybody had, but I do feel like we are living in some unprecedented times. And while we don't need to know what we need to exactly do today and tomorrow, uh, the church of Jesus Christ must not shrink back. Uh, We, in these times, have such an opportunity uh, to be everything that God intended when he established his church on earth. To be the kingdom of heaven that brings his shalom, his peace to chaos. And uh, I think today we'll hopefully uh, push that even into our hearts more. We decided a long time ago that when we got to the summer, we would break from our study of John's gospel. And we would step into a summer-long study of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to step into that and... I'm scheduled today to teach on what I think is the magnum opus text on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter two. In fact, a whole denomination of the Christian faith gets their name from this chapter, the the Pentecostals. So uh, let's go to Acts chapter two. Again, we, uh, we like to stand, but yet if, uh, if that's not what the Lord is leading you to do, but to just stand with your heart, you may do that as well. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Literally reads, the place. Suddenly, a sound like blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them, again, the them are the disciples of Jesus. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And each of them began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it then that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from rome both jews and jewish converts cretians arabs we hear them declaring the wonders the mighty works of god in our own tongues amazed and perplexed they asked one another what does this mean some however made fun of them and said they've had too much to drink <laughs> and they probably did have too much wine but of a wine of a different kind. You may be seated. So this story, which many of us are familiar, uh, begins with when the day of Pentecost came. Now, what is Pentecost? Pentecost is actually a Greek word, it simply means fiftieth. Now, why would a day be called the fiftieth? Because fifty days are what separated the two most amazing events in Israel's history. The first being the Exodus, when God dramatically rescued Israel from Egypt when they were slaves. Then it says God led them. He literally walked them into a desert. He led them to a mountain, to his holy mountain. And then he said to Israel when they got there, prepare yourself like a bride and present yourself at my mountain. And they did. And Israel approached that mountain like a bride, and the most amazing thing happened. When they did this, God came down like a husband in all his glory. Fire, wind, the earth shook. And God looked at Israel, a people who had been slaves, and he says to them, you are my segula. Segula means my most treasured possession. And on this day, God bound his heart to this people. And this was 50 days after the Exodus. Now, Christians know about this this 50th day. Um, We say that God gave his Ten Commandments on this day. Uh, The Jews call the Ten Commandments the Ten Words. The Ten Words to a Jew are their wedding vows to God. It's the words that they speak to God. The words that God gave them on their wedding day. And after these two events, Passover and Pentecost, God said every year, I want everyone to present themselves before me for for a feast, for these two feasts. Uh, We all know Passover, which celebrates the exodus uh, that happened through the the blood of a lamb. Uh, And 50 50 days later, God said, I want you to celebrate another feast, and that's called Pentecost, which is essentially the wedding anniversary of Israel and God. And that's why it's called Pentecost. It's the 50th day, their wedding day. And what the Bible wants us to see, or, or, or more ac- accurately, what God wants us to see is that Pentecost and Passover, Passover and Pentecost, are, are intricately connected together because... Redemption, God wants us to see that as the whole package. Redemption is not just God getting us out of slavery in Egypt, but it's much more than that. It's God taking us to himself where our hearts are bound to him. It's going from slavery to segula, to being God's most treasured possession. So last Thursday to Saturday, I don't know if you knew this, but Jews from all over the world celebrated Pentecost, their wedding anniversary. And that's why verses 5 to 11 in our text say that there are not just people from all over the world in Jerusalem, but there are God-fearing Jews from all over the world. Because by this time, Jews were dispersed all over the world. And they're in Jerusalem to celebrate their wedding anniversary. And then what happens? Fire. Wind. The text literally says it's almost like a tornado and it came from heaven. And let's try to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes right now. And the disciples are not just the 12. There's 120 of them by now. It's one of the holiest days of the year. A million people or more uh, would be packed in Jerusalem. Jews from all over the world And most are trying to make their way to the temple to make the morning sacrifice because God instructed at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. every morning and afternoon, I want there to be a sacrifice. So that's the biggest game in town. And what time is it when this happens? Well, we didn't read it, but if you look at verse 15, this happens at 9 p.m., 9 a.m. in the morning, right at the time of the morning sacrifice. Where are the disciples? Well, it says that they're in the house. What house? Well, most of us envision them to be in the upper room, but verse one says they were in. Literally, it reads the place. And verse two says, and they were in the house. Now, every time you read temple in the Old Testament, it's one of these two words: hamachom in the Hebrew, which means the place, or har habayit, which means the house, or most literally, the house on the hill. It's where God lived. So the disciples, according to the scholars that understand the story and how it fits to the geography, um, all placed them in the house, the place. Let me just show you this. Just some slides for you to uh, see what the house would have looked like in the first century. Uh, the, way, the place where the pilgrims entered was from the south. They went up the southern stairs, uh, which is where I see this event taking place. I don't think they were inside the actual temple structure. I think they were just outside at that place of entrance on the, on the southern stairs. Now put yourself in the your disciples' shoes. Your rabbi, Messiah, he dies you're depressed. Then he's raised and you're pumped. Then he spends 40 days with you, teaching you about the kingdom of heaven. It's all starting to make sense. Then he ascends to heaven and he says that he's coming back. And so you go to the temple that day knowing that he died on Passover, that he was buried on the feast of unleavened bread, that he was raised on the feast of first fruits. And you go there with this sense of anticipation. He hasn't missed a holiday yet. And now you're at the temple. And all of a sudden it happens. Massive fire, violent wind comes down. What's happening? This is Sinai 2.0. God is coming down, but not upon the house or the place, Because the text says that the fire separates and settles where? On each believer. If you want to know what just happened, God just changed his address. God just said, I don't want to live in that bricks and mortar building anymore. I want to live in you, my people. And what Acts 2 Pentecost is about, it's about God coming down on a new mountain. And the new mountain is no longer that house on a hill, but it's the new house, the community of believers. They became the mountain of the Lord. Every single believer became the mountain of God's raw Shekinah presence. Did anybody just faint right now? (laughs) Why not? Maybe we have too low of a view of God. Think about this. Of all the places where God could make his home and live, his raw presence, to show the world what he is like, he has decided to live in us. We are the mountain of God. And I think, Moses, if he were here, he, he would say, do you, do you even know, Christian, what you've been afforded? Like, I couldn't look at this God. I had to be hit in the cleft of a rock, and he could just pass by me. The one through, through whom God's people could only draw near, and, and the priests, they could only get close to. This God lives in you. And how are we not overwhelmed with this reality? Or think about this, the whole world, year after year, generation after generation, would travel to Jerusalem seeking the presence of God. God now lives in us. 2 Peter verse 1 says that God's power and his glory, it's in us and that we participate in his deity. Here's a question I think we should all be asking. Has Pentecost happened in your life? Has it happened to our church? Has the living God come down and made his home in us? Fire and wind throughout the Bible represent the presence of God. Fire and wind are not just things we know about. Fire and wind are things that we encounter. They're things that we experience. Now, I don't want to reduce God to an emotional experience, but there is no way the Spirit of God can be in our life and for us not to experience something. The Spirit, he moves, and he moves us. There's a guy in our church, Brad Smith. Uh, Brad, you're going to find out something if you're listening right now. Um, Every Sunday, this guy inspires me. He loves to come up in the front row. He's a person who had a, a, a terrible accident in his life that took away some of his, uh, his health and all of that in a long-term way. There's not a Sunday that he misses. There's not a Wednesday prayer thing that he doesn't miss. He's always in the front row. And he cannot worship, he cannot pray without tears flowing from him. Don't stop seeking God until you know what this means. And right now, we live in a world that doesn't just need to know about God. We, need, we, we live in a world that desperately needs to know the presence of God, the power of God. And guess what? We're it. Later in Acts, in, in Acts 17, the authorities arrest some of Paul's companions and they complain to them and they, they say, literally, You guys have turned the whole world upside upside down. The whole world is shaking right now. Imagine that. And why is the world turned upside down? Because the people have been filled with the Spirit of God. And the world is quaking. And here's the deal. We will never shake the world if we haven't first been shaken. We'll never be the people of God if we're not first the temple of God. And if Grand Rapids is going to encounter the presence of God, it's going to be because we have first encountered this God. Now, not only are we the new mountain, but also we have a new ministry. Look at verse 4. It says that they spoke in tongues, they being the disciples. And I want to say this as sensitively as possible. That they're not speaking nonsensical gibberish. Because you get down to verse 11, it says... Everyone heard about the mighty wonders of God in their own language. Think about this. The first time the gospel is preached, it's being proclaimed in every language. Or how about this? Listen to what the Jewish oral tradition said, which dates back to before the time of Christ about the first Pentecost. It says, on the occasion of the giving of the law at Sinai, the children of Israel not only heard the Lord's voice, but they actually saw the sound as it emerged from the Lord's mouth and they saw it as fire. Each commandment that left the Lord's mouth traveled around the entire camp and then came back to each individually. So when God spoke the first time to Israel at Sinai, it's like these sound waves that came from his mouth appeared as fire and the fire fell individually on each Hebrew. Or listen to this, from the same oral tradition, God's voice, as it was uttered, split into 70 voices in 70 languages so that all the nations should understand. And 70 in the Bible is, is, is the number that represents all the nations. Because God's heart has always been for all the nations. His word has been for the nations. His people have always been set apart for the nations. And what we have now in Acts 2, the gospel has now been made complete in Christ. And the gospel is now going out to the nations. To all languages, to all cultures. In fact, it goes out in such a way where a culture doesn't give up its culture. It doesn't have to learn a new language, but its culture is only made new and redeemed that much more. This is the new ministry. And this is all going to culminate in Revelation 5. Well, we're going to be gathered around Jesus one day and we're going to be singing, Jesus, you are worthy because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased persons from every tribe for God, every language and people and nation. And you've made them all to be a nation of priests to serve our God. And they all will reign on earth. And see, we get so dialed into this tongues piece that we almost miss the, the the larger thing that that's going on in Acts two. Um, they all began to speak, and this is not just the twelve apostles, but when you go back to Acts chapter one, there are about hundred and twenty disciples, men and women, young and old. All 120 of them receive the fire of God's presence, and all 120 of them are speaking the gospel in a different language. Imagine that. I mean, contrast this with the First Pentecost. Only Moses went up the mountain. The people are too scared. Moses went up the mountain as a priest to represent the people to God. He got God's word. He brought it it down as a prophet. And now in Acts 2, imagine this huge crowd that's going to the stadium for one of the biggest games of the year. And the game outside the stadium is bigger than the game going on inside. And this is why people from the crowd start yelling, they must be drunk. So if you keep reading Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and he explains everything that's going on. He he boldly declares to them, to a people who know the text, he says, gentlemen, ladies, today, Joel 2 is being fulfilled. And what's Joel 2? It says in the last days, That means with Jesus, the last days have begun. Pentecost began uh, in Acts 2, in the last days, God said, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. In other words what joel 2 is saying what peter is saying what god is saying no longer will they be will there be one or two people who are filled with the presence of god to be a prophet everyone is now a prophet everyone is now a priest everyone is now a pastor everyone is to be like moses everyone is to go up the mountain of god encounter him everyone is to come down the mountain as a prophet with the word of god I mean, Jesus set the whole groundwork for this. When he said, look at John the Baptist, he said, John was the greatest prophet in the history of the world. But I tell you the truth, the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than John. Greater than John. And see, if we're serious about applying this to our community, this should sound the death to this professional class of pastors and priests. It should sound the death to, to this idea that there's this professional rank in the church. There are no professionals in the church. We're all to be filled with the Spirit, to be prophets, pastors, priests. Each of us is to be a minister with a ministry. And I think one of the reasons why the church is so stymied today is because we've made it so much about a few personalities. And people have become so dependent on on these few. We call them clergy. But the Spirit of God isn't filling you so that you can become dependent upon clergy. He's filling you so you can be a royal priest, a mighty man, a mighty woman for God who dreams dreams of his kingdom and who lives out those dreams in the power of God. And my job as a pastor is not to get you to sign up for my dreams, but it's to serve you, to unleash you in your kingdom dreams, to make all of us ministers with a ministry. And while our ministries will be different and diverse, they'll all be about one thing, Verse 11, we are filled with the Spirit to declare the mighty works of God. And what are the mighty works of God? It's the Gospel. And the Gospel has nothing to do with me, with what I do, or what I should do, how good I am. The Gospel is what God has done. The Gospel is the mighty work of God in Christ, Because of Christ, God doesn't counter sins against us, and we're reconciled to God, and we're being remade from the inside out. The mighty work of God is what God is doing in Christ, and then through us to repair and heal the whole world. (laughs) That's why Paul says we don't preach ourselves, we preach Christ. This is our ministry, to declare the mighty works of God, to preach Christ. How are we doing? How's our church doing? Why are we sometimes afraid these days to speak? Is it because people won't like us? (laughs) Well, they didn't like Jesus. They killed him. (laughs) And they didn't like the apostles. You read the book of Acts. How many times do they get arrested? How many times are they beaten? Eventually, all but John will be martyred. In fact, in Acts, there's that place where the authorities tell the disciples, guys, be quiet, stop. And all they say back to the authorities, we can't help it. We cannot not speak about Jesus. Why? They're filled with the Spirit. Look at Acts 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. If you want to know one of the signs of the Holy Spirit filling us, it's we speak his word with boldness. Jeremiah the prophet said, he said, his his word is like a fire in my chest. And he says, I'm weary of holding it in. he says, indeed, I cannot. So, Pentecost not only produced a new mountain and a new ministry, but it produced a new people. A new humanity was born that shook the world. Because they didn't just preach a message, they became the message. As Christ followers, that's just what we are. We are the message. If we preach the cross, then we also must live the cross. Our lives must be cross-shaped. Who we are and, and what we are collectively should be cruciform. People ask me all the time, like, why isn't there a cross in your church? I don't want a cross in our church. That's too easy. I want people to see the cross in us. I want people to experience the cross through us. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that Pentecost is one of the three major Jewish holidays, um, holidays that God instructed, holidays that God even shaped. And and like the other two major ones, Passover and Tabernacles, uh, these three holidays are all connected to the harvest, to food, (laughs) to food. Now, remember in that world, uh, you didn't get your food from a grocery store. The food that you ate was the food that you grew in your backyard. It literally was farm to table. And they lived just to survive, just to get enough food for the next year. And their staple food was grain. Barley was harvested first, just before Passover. And 50 days later, they harvested their wheat just before Pentecost. So Passover celebrates the barley harvest. Pentecost celebrates the most important part of their diet, the wheat. Now, if you know the Old Testament, places like Leviticus 23, God gives two specific instructions for the Feast of Pentecost. He says first, he says, The first wheat that you harvest from your field. I want you to bring it to Jerusalem for this feast called Pentecost. I want you to turn part of it into two loaves of bread and I want each family to take those two loaves of bread representing the first fruits because a great harvest is yet to come and to wave that before me in the temple to say, God, thank you. And this is what Jesus is picking up on when, when, when he, he says the fields are ripe for harvest but he says there's no harvesters. I mean that's Pentecost imagery, and I wonder what Jesus would say to us. Would he say the same thing today? That the, the fields are are so ripe for harvest, but where are the harvesters? Do we want a Pentecost? Do we want to reap a harvest? Well, then maybe we should do what God instructs because his second instruction for Pentecost was this. He says, when you harvest your wheat, don't harvest the corners of your field. He says, those unharvested corners are to be for the poor and the widow and the stranger who are in your land. So that they can come. And again, God didn't spell out how big or small those corners would be, but there would be enough. Enough because of the generosity of God's people. They left the corners of their fields unharvested. This is why the book of Ruth is read to this day by every Jew on, on Pentecost, because Ruth is a poor stranger who harvests the corners of a generous man's field. So I come to Acts chapter two which is the fulfillment of Pentecost. And I wonder, did those first Christians practice this? Where are the uncut corners of the field in this text? And you get to the last verse. And it says, all the believers were together. And they had everything in common. And they gave generously to each person as, as they had need. And then you just go a few verses or chapters later which is a few days later and i read verse 31 and they prayed and the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the holy spirit so they could speak the word of god boldly and listen to how it goes and all the believers were one in heart and mind there was this unity no division And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they have. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Much grace was upon them all. And listen to this verse. There was not a needy person among them. And commentators say this was more than a description of material and physical need. but social, relational, emotional, spiritual, not a need. See, what Pentecost produced was a whole new humanity, a humanity that became this unified family, this family which became a city, the kind of city the world had never seen, the city of God that swallowed up all need. And this is why nothing could stand in the way of it, not Rome, not even the gates of hell. They proclaimed the message. They became the message. And the whole world shook. How many of us today would love to be a part of a huge harvest? How many of us today dream of God so moving in his people, the church, And we brought about his shalom to the chaos of our city, our neighborhoods, the marketplace, our schools. Listen to me from my heart on this. The most fundamental mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit is being nothing other than a person who cares for people who are in need. And for us to say that we've been spirit-filled and to have harvested our whole field for ourselves is an abomination to God. If we truly are to be this new mountain, God's house filled with his spirit, we are to have uncut corners, where the poor the people in chaos can come and harvest from our abundance it blows me away to think that every pentecost the book of ruth is read who is ruth a poor stranger a widow what was her salvation boaz boaz is this picture of what god is to us a redeemer a husband. Think about Christ, the ultimate Redeemer, the ultimate Boaz, our bridegroom, the one with ultimate riches who became poor for our sake to make us rich in God. And then God says to us, All that I've been to you, be that to the world. Be a Boaz who let a poor woman harvest from his abundance. In my opinion, the church needs a Pentecost. And what a time for Pentecost. That God's fire would fall upon us. Maybe today you need a personal Pentecost. How about we just enter a time of prayer, asking God that his fire And his wind would blow and his fire would descend and fall upon us. Jesus, when you looked at those fields that were ripe with harvest and said, where are the harvesters, you then said, just ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask him. And so right now, God, we ask you, would you bring Pentecost to our lives, that you would raise up harvesters for your kingdom, in Jesus' name, amen.